Each week, Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1999 Frank Oz-directed comedy Bowfinger, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Rob from Movie Rob Minute. And I'm David from Blueprint Review. And we're here to talk about Minute 4. So Minute 4 begins with Bowfinger closing the script and ends with the sound on an answering machine. Mm -hmm. David, why don't you tell everyone maybe your background with this movie Bowfinger? that Jim chose for all of us to sit and watch and talk about. Yeah, well, this is one uh, This is one I caught at the, at the cinema when it was first released. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm, I've always kind of liked, I enjoy movies about making movies. Um, I think, uh, I mean, obviously I'm, obviously I'm a big film fan with what I do, but um, also eventually, I mean, I, I've, a few years, actually, when did this come out? I'm trying to think. But yeah, probably a couple of years after this, I did get into, I went to uni, I studied uh, video production filmmaking and actually got into filmmaking so it's something that close because of this movie not because of this movie oh, okay. <laughs> no, no. that guess, would be cool guess, that would have been cool i'm just try- <laughs> i guess i'm just trying to explain why films about filmmaking kind of appeal to me i think i just like that world i, I find it interesting um so yeah it just it's the kind of film that appealed to me and um i've always i've always liked steve Ma- there's a, a lot of good yeah, good people involved i've always liked steve matt and eddie murphy they're funny guys and uh, it, I really enjoyed it at the time. Um, and it's one of those, it's one of the films that, um, if I remember rightly, it was one of the earlier DVDs that I bought. Um, not one of the first, but kind of when I was just collecting, because I've got a silly number these days, just to, to more than I, way more than I need. But in those days, I only had a few. So that was one of the titles that I had when I had the luxury of rewatching films. Well, now I've got way too many. I never get to rewatch them. So so I actually watched it quite a bit in the day. I think when I was at uni, I probably watched it um, a fair few times. And uh, so, yeah, it's one I, I kind of know and cherish. I, uh, I just think it's a, a really decent, solid movie. It's funny. It's It's got its heart heart in the right place as well. It's quite a kind of, um, it's you, you could say a bit sentimental, but in that kind of Hollywood way. But uh, but it works. It kind of it makes it a very lovable, likable film. And rewatching it again for the podcast, uh, just uh, I would rewatch it again today, actually. In fact, and uh, it still works for me. I just uh, I had a blast watching it. It's uh, so it's a lot of fun. It's a fun movie that just kind of just races along as well. There's very little uh, time wasted. It just kind of cracks on with its its kind of zany concept and uh, and just runs with it. Right. I mean, for me, it's a little different. I, I actually didn't see it when it first came out. It just sounded a little too strange for me, even though I'm a big fan of both Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. I mean, as anyone who knows my podcast knows that my second season was playing Shades and Automobiles because I just love what Steve Martin does there. So, you know, for me, this, I don't know, this 
I, I didn't find Steve Martin as funny in the 90s and afterwards as I did in the 80s. I think his stuff in the 80s was, was so much better. So for some reason, I somehow missed it when it came out. It wasn't something that I that I rushed to go see as soon as it uh, you know premiered in 1999 or anything like that. I actually only first saw it probably about 13 years ago, something like that, in, in 2010. And I, I, I liked it, but I didn't think it was that it was that great. And then for my website, I actually uh, rewatched it uh, three years ago in uh, 2020. And again, I wasn't too thrilled about it. But what's really interesting is now that, you know, that this was all before I started doing podcasting and started doing editing and all that stuff. And now that I've seen it, you know, again, I have more of an interest in what's going on and the way that it's done in the way that, uh, you know, the, the, the story plays out of, you know, basically trying to edit something. I mean, obviously it's video as opposed to audio, which is what I'm used to, but, you know, editing something around something else. I mean, edit. I mean, I've, I've learned the magic, the magic of editing since I started my podcast, even though, you know, Jay tried for years to get me to do uh, editing and I never did it. And then, you know, once I had to do it on my own, so I finally figured it out and I've really enjoyed doing it. It's something, you know, a lot of people don't like editing. And <laughs> well, I'm, that's my job. I, I love it. <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I'm, you know, I, I look forward to, you know, editing my episodes, not just because I get to re-listen to, you know, the great conversations I have with with my various guests, but also, you know, just the, the technical aspects of it. Of, okay, I'm going to take out this um, and I'm going to take out that um, and I'm going to take out, uh, you know, this part, or I, if something gets cut off so I can copy it from a different track and move it, you know, I've had times when the, the outro uh, didn't work properly or didn't sound right, so I just cut it from a different outro from the same person, you know, and it sounds the same and you don't really notice the difference. And it gave me a greater appreciation for the way that editors, you know, work in movies. And I mean, that's, that's what this movie is all about. Yeah. This yeah, is, exactly. and, you know, and I, I'm actually, I mean, I know that, 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 that we're, we're dealing with this minute by chance, you know, this wasn't one that was chosen for, for, for us to take care of, but, you know, I like the fact that we actually get, the first dialogue of the movie and you know we also um you know we we, we see I, I guess the 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 way that a story uh you know is brainstormed and starts you know and that's what this movie is all about you know i mean and i was actually very glad that you were able to to, to join me for this because i think you're the perfect person to be talking about you know the various stages of a movie script the way that how it how it works i mean the 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 minute opens up with steve martin you know uh, who's playing bobby bowfinger closing a script and saying wow great script great script and then like his dog walks into the room and he goes betsy it's now or never we're gonna make a movie and you know we, we can see the the light bulb above him as he's saying this but we also see the the thrill that he has that he's doing this obviously you know he, he's a producer so he's he's made other movies this isn't the first time or he's just not as he has never been successful with it but he's finally found one that he wants to be successful or that that he feels will be a hit that's what it comes down it's now or never you know now we're going to make the hit he has a production company it isn't something that he's just starting off for or whatever it is even though he's not very successful up until now yeah. you know well, this whole thing See, there's some, well, this is jumping way further in the film, but there's a bit of dialogue as well, kind of later explaining how 
he's he's getting close to to 50 I think he's 49 he says and and he's getting close to 50 and he in his mind when you're 50 in Hollywood that's it so he kind of sees this as his last chance right. as well so it's almost mm-hmm. the opposite of, as I say a first film well I was gonna say what well, I, I did find it because uh, it's been a little while since I've watched the film I found it surprising um how it opens because it kind of jumps straight in there with with the with the chubby rain script um Whereas you almost expect a film like this to set the scene a bit more. You almost you'd usually probably you'd usually start with um, uh, kind of setting the scene, setting the character. So I'd almost expect to see him making another film first or doing his kind of um, blagging his way around Hollywood first before the script lands. Because you almost feel like this is a, a almost a turning point moment. But no, they jump straight into the script. And it's like no, it's we're gonna it's the rest of the film that's gonna be um that um, is gonna provide our yeah, dramatic structure. So it is. It's an odd opening, I find. Um, I actually really... like the way that they they open it because because well, no, again, I do, I do, it yeah. it it shows us okay. He he's finished reading the script. We don't need to sit him. We don't need to watch him sit and read the script. You know, no, no, he's no. We, <laughs> we don't need to know how he got the script at this point. Yeah. You know, it's not something that's that's important. I mean, I I just did a, a quick little search. How many screenplays do you think are are registered every year with the WGA? No, the Writers Guild of America. Oh, I dread to think this. This. Oh God, I don't know. Every, every how many? Every day? Sorry. Every, every every year. Every year. Every year. Sorry. Oh, I don't know. And it's a rough estimate, a thousand, obviously. A thousand. <laughs> there are fifty thousand screenplays that are either spec or otherwise that get registered with the guild every single year. I mean, I find that just mind baffling. That is crazy. That's you know, depressing as well. It shows how much of a kind of a lottery it is to to get your script made is just. Is in, is is insane. That's correct. And and here I have another stat that's even crazier. Okay, okay. Let let's do the comparison. So we have from 1950 and nowadays. What percentage of screenwriters actually achieve having a second script produced within five years of the first? In 1950, how, what percentage of the screenwriters do you think are have are able to make a second movie within five 50s. years? In the 50s. I imagine the 50s, it was higher. I imagine they'd have studio writers, so it'd be, a, I don't know, maybe 60%, 70% or something, I'm not sure. 39% of screenwriters oh, wow. in the 50s were able to make a second credit within five years. I'm assuming that that doesn't include what you just mentioned about the, the studio writers themselves. These are probably independent yeah. writers, you know, being able to, yeah. to break in and then yeah. get a second movie made. Okay. Yeah. I guess it was probably quite harsh as well. You might have had some that would that they'd hire in as a studio writer, then the first script bombed and they'd be like, right, <laughs> sling your hook, get out of here. <laughs> right, it could be. I don't know. Maybe, That's true. Maybe. That's very true. All right, now what percentage do you think nowadays? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it says here in the, in the 2000s, <laughs> It says in the 2000s, so I don't know if that's referring to, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago or now or within the last 23 years. It could be any of them. But Well, if you're saying they're getting 50,000 scripts, then like 1%, <laughs> maybe less. <laughs> So it's saying 17% of screenwriters oh, okay. are able to get a second credit. That, that, that... Yeah, well, I guess you're saying second credit. Yeah, I was thinking second. I guess it's more, once you've got in there, I guess it's probably a bit easier to get. A so you're saying one, 17% of 1%. <laughs> no, no, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> but yeah, because, well, it's even less than one. If you've got 50,000 scripts, there aren't that many films we made. In right, Hollywood. I think they only make like so... 15, what is it, like 1,500 uh, movies a year or something like that? Maximum. Yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. I mean, you you've done it. You've you've been a part of of a movie, 
So yeah, well, well not Hollywood though, but yeah, 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 not Hollywood, but still, I mean, yeah. you know, still, yeah. have, I mean, and think about it. Your your film came out was about five six years ago. Have you guys had another uh, film at that since then? Well, they haven't. The, the guys who made that haven't. But I, I've gone on. I, I left that company, and I, ah, okay. um, I've worked. I've worked with some other guys who. Um, they're um they, they produce a, f- a few films or they tend to get on board of other people's films as well it's kind of complicated but um but although i i've joined them a bit later on so i don't oh, i don't know the full ins and outs of it but mm. um but yeah but yeah but in terms of me i guess I, i'm now editing i've just finished my third feature edit i've done loads of short stuff and videos and mm. things like that right. um but yeah i finished my third feature edit or at least i finished my role on it there's still going to be some kind right. of um sending back and forth files and things but the actual edit is locked uh, and i'm about to start a fourth hopefully soon it's been they, they've asked me anyway and uh, the director's given me a call and wants me so um oh that's great on the pipeline so yeah that's great so once you're in there it's easy to get the ball rolling but um yeah right i mean but difficult. but again i mean i like the way that this you know the, the the script is basically where a movie starts yeah or as actually sometimes it starts before and just with the pitch but with, yeah. without the full script nothing's happening the pitch could work and then if you don't have a good script that's not going to go anywhere but once yeah, you yeah. have the script that's where it is so i mean here you have this producer who has yet to have a hit okay and he's looking at it and saying he's finally found a great script. And this is the one that's going to put him over the top. As you mentioned, you know, he's 49. He's just about to hit the, the cusp of 50. So this is when he's got to do it, you know, that type of thing. And as he's like contemplating all these different things, well, actually, I want to mention something about the dog. Okay. Did, okay. <laughs> so you're, are you a dog person? I am, I am a dog person. I don't have a dog, but my parents uh, have had dogs. Um, so, I'm, yeah, definitely a dog person. Right. So I'm, I'm not a dog person. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I like watching dogs in movies. That's it. You know, like I, <laughs> I, I don't like having to deal with dog in person. Oh, yeah. I couldn't, I guess I couldn't have say. my own. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard. They're hard work. But, yeah, um, I mean, everyone in my I family like... wants to have a dog. My kids and my wife, <laughs> they all want to have a dog, and I refuse because I know if we get a dog, I'm the one who's going to have to take care of it. <laughs> yep. And <laughs> if I don't want the dog, then why, you know? Why, do I, why am I the one who's going to have to get up five in the morning to go take it for a walk? Because mm. no one else wants to get up. Mm. My brother actually caved a few years ago. His whole family wanted one. He didn't want one. And he was stuck having to take the dog out all the time. <laughs> he was stuck with, with, you know, having to take care of the dog. And in the end, he just said, that's it. I'm getting rid of it. And they got rid of the dog. <laughs> oh, no. That was it. No, they sold it to somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I found was a, a the Humane Society actually has a website that mentions uh, for each movie what their you know what what happens with the dog or what happens with the animal in that particular movie so i just want to read the quick blurb here obviously it's a little bit of spoilers for the rest of the movie but it's still fun to see that they actually have a blurb about it i never even thought that the you know that the humane society would would do something like this they would have something like that basically it says here a bullfinger has a dog named betsy that is seen throughout the film doing very mild dog behaviors such as lying on her back on the couch or walking A to B. The action was cued by the trainer using verbal and hand commands. There is an unusual bit of animal action in, in a parking garage where Bullfinger puts high heels on Betsy's front paws and the dog runs slowly from A to B. The trainer places the high heels on the dog's paws using extra safety straps and cued it with verbal and hand commands. The dog ran slowly from A to B for approximately 15 feet and was comfortable wearing the high heels while filming, although she prefers her running shoes. So <laughs> I just find it really funny that that they actually have, you know, reports of how this stuff yeah. is done. 
publicly accessible ones as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it makes sense. I'm not, I'm not yeah, saing that guess, it yeah, doesn't, would... but, but it's just very funny. You know, it's not something that you would expect. Yeah. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, yeah. I guess it makes sense in terms of if anyone wants to check that actually no animals were harmed. I mean, they always say that at the end of the film, but they could just be lying. So it's good to. It's, and they can't be lying on this website. And... <laughs> oh, well, yeah, I guess so. Or if you're but saying if it's the human society, yeah, uh, okay, if it's the human society itself. Kind of, I don't know how it operates. I don't know if they actually send someone there to watch or I don't know. But I think they do. I think I think in each movie they're supposed to have you know someone on set to make sure that the animals are not harmed. I, I, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, it always reminds me of the, yeah, you know, the so. scene in Scrooge, uh, Scrooged, you know, with Bill Murray. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, where, where the king <laughs> of the antlers, the that's right, the king <laughs> of the antlers on, on the the mouse, and they say, uh, just staple them on. <laughs> and the person from the Humane Society was was appalled. You know, <laughs> that was quite an interesting touch. Did you see Nope as well from last yes. year? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because obviously in that, they, I found that a nice touch in Nope. They're, they're at, um, animal handles out or horse wranglers or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That was quite an interesting interesting aspect of the film. Yeah. I actually yeah. just saw the other day RRR, and they have, oh, yeah. they have a big thing right at the beginning, you know, saying that, that all the animals in the movie are digital. <laughs> As I say, yeah, that's very obvious. <laughs> you know, which, no, but it's, it's just fun, funny that, that, that they yeah. have, you know, a, a sign that, that you know, they, they have a disclaimer right at the beginning. Mm. you know through through the thing so i, I just thought it was really funny because it's not something that you would do in most movies i mean even in all like the no, disney no. movies you know where they're doing it all animated and the life of pie and things like that you, you don't oh, have yeah. that at the beginning of the movie you know yeah, something that you'll have yeah. later on at the end, you know, at yeah, the yeah. end it'll, it'll pro- possibly say something you know no animals no animals were harmed in this movie because there were no animals in this movie you know that kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing <laughs> who knows <laughs> It's just it's fun to to think about those things. So you know he's 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 reading the script. He, you can see that he is completely transfixed. That he's finally got the script that he wants to make the movie of. I mean, it's great that that he has the script and he thinks that he's got this best thing. And his train of thought is broken by the phone ringing. You know, something that doesn't happen nowadays. You actually hear the the answering machine pick up. Because I, I don't, do you think people still have answering machines these days? I've I've got rid of my landline to be honest. All I've got is uh, I've got an answer machine on my phone to be fair, but it's not. But obviously it's not machine. It's it's just it's no, mobile, but, but no. Yeah, but I'm, talking about, I'm talking about I'm talking about from the perspective perspective of of being able to hear while someone's leaving a message. Oh yeah yeah yeah. You know, no, we, we still I, have voicemail. I say, I'm not talking about voicemail. Yeah. Voicemail, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, you, you someone can leave a message and whatever. I'm talking about the fact that you can be sitting in your house I, or yeah. office or whatever it is, and you're hearing I, I, the conversation. Yeah. I do have one, but we switched. We got rid of our landline, so it's no longer in operation. We just use mobiles now. So why do you have it? Yeah. <laughs> why haven't I'm you gotten rid of it? <laughs> I don't know. Just in case we get a landline again, I'm terrible for hoarding. But think about crap. how many DVDs you can put in that space that it's taking up. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, it's hidden behind the TV. To be honest, it's the most random place possible. But, yeah. Because there's no other place to put it. <laughs> and then we we hear the answering machine, and we hear. Him, we hear Bullfinger's voice saying Bullfinger International Pictures. Uh, that, that's a, first of all a very original name for, for a production company, you know, <laughs> just to call it after yourself. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> and then we, we hear a voice on the other end answering and saying it's Carol. And later on, we'll find out that Carol is played by Christine Baranski. So I'm sure someone, when she shows up later, will give more information about Christine Bransky. So we, we, we won't talk about her right now because we only get her voice anyway. And she leaves a somewhat long message saying, uh, how do I say this? 
I've been offered to, to go to Edmonton to do cats. It's a small role, but I've got to take it. You keep promising me. And first of all, I love the way that th- this gives us so much insight into who Bowfinger is. You know, the, he's he's the producer who's promising everything. You know, he wants to keep his troop together and he will promise him anything and stuff like that. And and the fact you can hear in her voice that she's she's very apologetic about the fact that she actually is taking a different role. And and again, this is this is also not a you know, she's taking a role in the theater. So this isn't even a movie. You know, she's gotten a, a part and that's it. You mentioned that she's going to be going to Edmonton. Do, do you know where Edmonton is? Uh, no, it's, I've, I've recognized the name from somewhere, but I don't really. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's a Canadian city. It's the capital okay. of Alberta, uh, okay. situated on the North Saskatchewan River. It has a population of uh, about 1 million, a uh, little over a million, 1 million, mm-hmm. 1 million, a thousand people, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it is the fifth largest city in Canada. And is the sixth largest metropolitan area in Canada. Uh, since since, <laughs> since you, you didn't know where, where it was, you probably don't know yeah. some famous people that were actually born there. So I, I was just looking <laughs> I was just looking for, for like famous actors and actresses and you know famous people that, that, that you might uh, be familiar with. So uh Katie Lang was uh, was oh, born yeah. there, singer songwriter. Um have you ever heard of WP Kinsella? Do you know who that is? He he wrote the uh, the book Shoeless Joe, which was the basis for Field of Dreams. Oh, for Field of Dreams, yeah. Yeah, which which to me is really funny that it's a Canadian who wrote a, yeah. a story about baseball. <laughs> okay. Tommy Chong was born there from Cheetan Chong. Oh, yeah. Okay. And as was his daughter, Radon Chong, who also was an actress. So we haven't seen – I haven't seen her in a long time. You know, she was, she was in a whole bunch of like movies in the 80s. She was, she was in Commando. Really? Uh, yeah, she, she was in Commando. She was in uh, uh, what was it called? The Squeeze. Uh, she she had a few roles back in back in the eighties. Is she like the kid in Commando then? Or no, 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 no. That was Alyssa Milano. Like the was, yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The kid, oh, yeah. the kid yeah, is yeah, Alyssa, was, Milano. Yeah. Alyssa Milano. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot. It's been a while. John Major. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and she's actually she was she was in a few other things, but she really hasn't. You know, you you would think that 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 she would have had a better. Uh, you know, a more profound career, but, uh, you know, I mean, she, she has 85, uh, credits on IMDb. So, you know, she, she has been on a lot of stuff. Oh, she was in, uh, she played Barry Curry. I didn't know that. In the, the American crime story, they had the, uh, the, the, the season where they were dealing with Bill Clinton. Oh, right. So she played Betty Curry, who was Bill Clinton's secretary at the time. So, oh wow, okay, yeah. didn't think. But again, she she didn't break out as 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 a uh, as a star, unfortunately. Yeah. You know, even though she she was oh she was in the principal with uh, Jim Belushi. I, I love that one. That was a fun movie. She was in Soul Man. Okay, again, these are movies in the eighties. <laughs> she was she was yeah. she was more popular in the eighties, I guess. Um, then you have uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen was born there. Oh, from nice. the Naked I, Gun. I didn't. I didn't even realize he was Canadian. Actually. There you go. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, Nathan Fillion. Oh yeah. From uh, Firefly. Firefly. Okay. And the uh, I guess most popular actor who was born in Edmonton is Michael J. Fox. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I found it a little interesting to to see. You know, because like I did, I knew that he was Canadian, but I didn't know that he was born in Edmonton. You know. 
But I guess it is the fifth largest city. So, well, you know, why not? <laughs> I guess his parents wanted to go to the fifth largest city. Who knows? Mm. Uh, and she she mentions that she actually is going to be working on a production of Cats. Okay. So are you familiar with Cats? I, I am. Not, not the animals. We talked about dogs before. But, uh, the, you know. the musical. Obviously, this is before the film version. <laughs> yes. Uh, many things were before the film version. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, most people don't mention the film version. <laughs> so it's actually a play that de debuted on the 11th of May 1981 and it was based on a story by T.S. Eliot Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats it actually became one of the longest running theater productions ever again after having seen the movie I don't understand why but I guess they did a much better job <laughs> the play itself the, the the production actually started in in London and it, uh, it made it to, to, to Broadway in 1982 so the first year it was just in, in uh, London. In London, it ran for 21 years and they had 8,949 performances. Okay. Oh. And the Broadway production ran for 18 years. So that's interesting. It was only used three years less with 7,485 performances. And it became the longest running musical in both of the theater districts for many years. It's been revived in the West End twice and on Broadway once. It's been translated into many different languages. And there's even a 15 year run in Hamburg, the German version of it, which uh, had 6,100 performances. Wow. And the, 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 the longest one is in Japan and it's played <laughs> over, it's had over 10,000 performances since it opened 40 years ago in 1983. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, it really is. Really is. There, there, there are a lot of movies and TV shows that mention it and stuff like that, even here, but this is just a, a, you know, uh, mentioned in passing, I guess you can say. There are also a lot of parodies about it. As you mentioned, they, they made a movie about it. It didn't really work. <laughs> and they even parodied the, the, the visual effects in the movie. There, there was a Disney film that came out last year, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Oh, yeah. Where they, they actually make fun of the visual effects from the Cats version from, 19, from 2019. So I, I thought that was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> So, and that, that's cats, you know, there's, I remember there used to always be a commercial where someone would say it's better than cats or something like that, or it's just not, yeah. uh, it's better than cats. Yeah. I think it was better than cats. Because my parents took me, my parents were quite a fan of um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. And uh, when I was a kid in the kind of uh, late 80s, early 90s, they did take me to a few, but cats is one we didn't see actually, but I did see like Phantom of the Opera and um, Starlight Express. And, mm -hmm some of the other ones but yeah yeah they're they're always good fun they on on stage these kind of they're very weird in concepts they often work on film but um it can be enjoyable enough on stage yeah but i didn't see cats wait you didn't see the, the play or the movie did you watch the movie i, di I didn't see i didn't see either no no i, I know quite a few of the songs just because as i say my parents were fans so we had a lot of cds with all of andrew lloyd Webber's stuff so i know a lot of the songs but i've, I've never seen it I, I avoided the film after the reviews. I was like, no, I'm not going to bother. And the, well, to be honest, the trailer itself was like, what, what the hell is this? No, I saw it. I, I saw it. And the whole time know. I was saying, what the hell is this? You know, but, <laughs> but, but like you, I knew I the don't... songs. So that was like yeah, important yeah. To, to be able to hear the songs as they're, they're playing. You know, and, you know, as he's listening to the, to the machine, you know, with, with Carol telling her thing, he jumps up from his, from his uh, seat uh, in apparently what looks like his, his dining room and then he runs to like a desk which i guess is his office 
you know, it's all in the same same room. And, you know, he, he quickly catches the, the, the phone and screams, no. But it's been eight months. Carol, don't take that job. We are going to make a motion picture. I promise you that. But you've promised before. I know. Just be here tomorrow at 10 a.m. But I can't afford. Please. You always. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it goes to show, once again, what type of producer he is. He's the guy who is promising everything to everyone. And, you know, they, they want to be there. They, 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 they still, you know, he's the type of guy who they're still trusting. Even though most people know they shouldn't be trusting him. Yeah, and there's the little line about eight months. Is obviously it's a long time to be hanging yes. on to <laughs> to his word sort of thing. So it's, yeah, they obviously have have some love for him, even if he's not really delivered. Yeah, exactly. They they they, they somehow trust him for whatever it is. Now I noticed. Did you, did you see the bulletin board behind him? Some of the things they have there are yeah. hilarious. Oh yeah, I didn't. I must, I must admit, I didn't have a proper good read i kept noticing the photos it comes back to it later in the film as well and i don't know if it was just me it looked like he kept mirroring the kind of position the mirroring the kind of um position the photo is in in a lot of the scenes maybe yes he is you're right you're right i'm sure he thought yeah yes he folds he folds his arms exactly so there's there's a little there's there's a little like photo there that looks like a business card type of thing or maybe an advertisement where it says learn how to act four lessons for twenty five dollars and he folds his hands together and as he's talking on the phone he folds his hands in that very same manner which is just great you know I I, I think that that's supposed to be like his you know his call his calling card type of thing yeah you know that type of thing and there's a whole bunch of other things written on this bulletin board I couldn't really figure out most of them because it's a little bit far and it's a little bit out of focus, but I saw that there's one that says "Do re me." <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> one just says "action." Exactly, and there's another one that says "ink," or maybe it's "link," or maybe it's "rink," or think. "think." Could be anything. There's so many different things that could be. There's something about Aspen, uh, but there's also a cartoon that's there. Now I don't know if this, to me it looked like a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon. I don't know if it is or isn't. Where's that? Oh, oh, on the, the upper top. right hand side. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, it looked like writing, but actually no, you're right. Yeah. To to me, it looked like a Calvin and Hobbes comic strip. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Calvin and Hobbes, even if it might not be. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, I, I love Calvin and Hobbes. Um, yeah. Right. So, I've, uh, do you, what? So what do you know about Calvin and Hobbes? If that's the case. Well, I, I say I love it. I, I I don't know. I don't know loads. It's just um, I, I had I had a Calvin and Hobbes book. Um, when I was a teenager or something like that, and uh, I, I I used to love it. And um, but but over the years I haven't thought much about it until recently. I randomly, um, I can't remember why. I was sharing some like Fireside comics on Facebook one day, and because of that, Facebook and its evil algorithms um, started uh, throwing other similar stuff at me, and it threw some Calvin Hobbes ones at me, and I really enjoyed those, so I started following them. Um, so I keep I've been seeing a lot of Calvin Hobbes recently and appreciating how good it is, really. But um. Yeah, it's it's kind of kind of sweet, honest, but has a kind of a enjoyably kind of uh, oh, I don't know how to describe it, but um, the the kids just kind of um, yeah, it, it kind of, it kind of it speaks it speaks to reality for me, but even though he sometimes um, some of their conversations are a bit more than what a, a kid that age would. Well, I think it's part of it. I think it's the idea that it's a kid. It's it's a kid with with a a grown up's imagination. I think that's what it what it comes down to when when it comes to that. So, um, Calvin Hobbes is a daily comic strip that was created by Bill Waterston, 
and was uh, syndicated from November 18th, 1985 to December 31st, 1995, which is a little over 10 years. That's a hell of a lot of, of strips, if that's the case, you know, even though it's only for 10 years, but if it's daily. So think about that, 365 times 10, talking close to, uh, you know, 4,000 different stories that were there. And it's still, you know, very popular today. It is known as one of the last great newspaper com comics. At the height of its popularity, it was featured in 24,000 newspapers worldwide. And they they actually would have reruns of them, of the strips that went back in the 50 different countries were having uh, copies of them uh, starting in 2010. And they have 40, they've sold 45 million copies of the books because there's tons of different books. He is one of only three cartoonists who was actually granted a sabbatical uh, while he was producing the script. And he actually got two sabbaticals. You know, one he took, took time off between uh, May 5th, 1991 and February 1st, 1992. And then the second time from April 3rd to December 31st, 1994. He actually had them written into his contract that he could take sabbaticals, which is something that was very, very uncommon at the time. You know, there the only two other people who got sabbaticals that were cartoonists. You know, you, you have uh, Gary Trudeau, who did Doonesbury. He got a sabbatical in 1983. And Gary Larson from the far side in 1989. Actually, the fact that he took so much time off, he got some criticism from fellow cartoonists, including Greg Evans, who, who wrote uh, Luann, and Charles Schultz, who did Peanuts. Just couldn't figure out why he would take off so much time in the middle when, you know, when, when you're having so much fun. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you got to have a break sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And then on screen, we have two other uh credits that they come on these are actually the only two credits that we see throughout the uh throughout the our our minute okay we have the first one is the casting credit by marjorie simkin who has done casting for over 80 different movies over the course of her career she's won awards she did casting for for both avatar movies you know, the first and, and the, the most recent one. She was nominated actually for the Casting Society of, of America for the the current Avatar Way of Water, which they haven't uh, given the answers yet as of recording. Maybe by the time this, uh, you know, maybe maybe by the time this comes out next week, someone will. Who knows? <laughs> but she, she won for theatrical performances also. She did casting for them. So she, she won for Annie, for Mamma Mia, for A Chorus Line. Basically, she's, She's gotten a lot of nominations from the Casting Society of America. She had 13, 13 nominations, including three wins. So that's pretty good. She she must know her stuff. Yeah. You know, especially since she did 80 different movies. So she was the cast, casting director. Of, so, you know, that, that's really interesting. Um, and the, the other one that we get is the music. Music by David Newman. Now... You're the music person, David. Have you ever heard of David Newman before? I, I must admit, I haven't. I'm actually just looking him up now, but he's he's doing a hell of a lot. <laughs> it's uh, and films that I know, but um, but yeah, it's a, a couple of my favorites. He did the Bill and Ted films. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's uh, is he is he related to uh, Alfred E. Newman at all? I, I think I he that's... is. I, I I do remember yeah. reading at some point that he was that he's like his grandson or something. Um, I'll have to have a look. It might say, but I, I don't know. Um, parents, Alfred. There Newman. you go. <laughs> is that the? 
How many yeah. Alfred E. Cool. Newmans are there? Actually, there's. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just Alfred no, he, Newman. Right. No, he's, he's, here, he's the, the son of. Davenport. He's yeah, the yeah. son of nine-time Oscar-winning composer Alfred Newman. Yes, yeah. he was born in 1954, which means that he will be 70 uh, next year. Done a lot of things. He's had a 25-year career. Busy guy. Yeah. He's done the music from War of the War, War of the Roses, Matilda, Heather's, The Spirits, Serenity. Alvin and the Chipmunks, Breakdown Palace, Hoffa, The Flintstones, Nutty Professor, Galaxy Quest, Throw Mama for the Train, Ice Age, Brave Little Toaster, Anastasia. You know, he's he, um, he's got a lot. I was going to say, <laughs> he, he's also done a lot of arranging and conducting as well about those things. He originally, he arranged the score and produced the songs for West Side Story, the Spielberg yeah. version mm-hmm. by those things as well. So he's a... Uh, yeah, busy guy. As I say, I've not heard of him, but um, I think uh, looking at his credits, although he's done an awful lot, he's not done many films that have really memorable scores. Correct. Um, but it's it, but it's obviously a obviously a solid pair of hands, though. Like he's, yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> that is yeah. that is definitely true. I mean, and also he's he's only gotten one Oscar nomination in all, all these you know works that he's done, and that was for his work with yeah. on uh, the music for Anastasia, and he didn't win that year. But then again, that was 1998. 1998. Um, trying to remember who won that year. That that ah, that was the year that that uh, I think that's the year the Titanic won, isn't it? Yeah, that's the year Titanic uh, yeah, won. So yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think you really have much of a chance there. No, <laughs> that, no, 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 no. <laughs> that's pretty much how this this minute ends. There's there's nothing else that really happens here besides the this conversation between them. But I think it's it's an important conversation. You know, I think it it. it yeah. Definitely, and it's great that they have this at the beginning of the movie. That they're in, this is the yeah. way they're introducing us to this particular character. Yeah, as I say, it's an interesting way of opening. I think it's uh, yeah, it's it's unusual to throw us in in this fashion, like straight in finding the script. And 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 as you mentioned, a kind of you get you get an idea of his character through his interactions on the phone and later on as the kind of film develops right. but it's, it's quite a nice way of doing it well i, I might add as well i guess uh, i guess another kind of subtle way they set the scene as well you could say is in the production design and the kind of costuming and things uh like his house um on top of being kind of quite dimly lit um it's quite me- it's messy um the design the kind of the interior design and things is quite dated you get the idea of things that are old or a bit second hand or whatever um but it also has this kind of homely look. It's got a bit of an earthy kind of colours to it, and it looks very lived in with how messy it is. And that kind of gives you a bit of a feel that this guy, he's not got a lot of money, um, but he's kind of a, 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 a just an average guy at heart, um, even if he's got these grand dreams of filmmaking yeah. and things. Um, so I think it, it does a lot through um, through the production yeah. design. That's very true. All right, so David, you want to tell people how they can find you? Yeah, if you go to blueprintreview.co.uk, you can find all my movie reviews, uh, Blu-ray reviews and things like that. All right, and finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on my website, moviearoundminute.com, for my podcasting. And if you want to just go for my movie reviews, I have almost 10,000 movie reviews on my regular website, which is just called Movie Rob. It's at WordPress. MovieRob.wordpress.com. You can find the Bowfinger Minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play, or at their main site, BowfingerMinute.com. And if you have time, you can go like, subscribe, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Social media, you can get in touch with uh, Jim or any of us that are doing any of these minutes by going on to the Facebook group, Welcome to Mindhead, at the Bowfinger Minute Listeners Center, 
And you can find us on Twitter at Bullfinger Minute. Thank you everyone for, for listening to us. And tomorrow you will have you'll have great posts. Jay and Mark will be here to tell you guys about Minute 5. And I'll be back in a, in a few weeks with my good friend Alan Sanders from The Wilder Ride. And we will, we will do a whole week of this. So I want to thank David Brooke for uh, joining me today. Thank you, David. No problem. It's been a pleasure. And in the meantime, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. the children I hope that we'll see you again cause there's always one more Show. One more show.